Hello, Grace Point. Greetings from Denver Seminary in Denver, Colorado. You know, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be with you. And that's the case today as well, even though it's via recording. Now that I live in Colorado, I love hiking and uh, I like to go to the tallest mountains that I can find. And last fall, I was on a 14er, one of the tall ones, and I was coming down and it was a pretty small path, uh, really only room for one person. To the right, there were rocks. To the left, there were rocks. And as I was going down, I was hoping I wasn't going to meet anyone when all of a sudden I looked and I saw something coming towards me. And it wasn't a person. I couldn't tell what it was. Is it a mountain lion? Is it a, a ram? What What is it? And as it got closer, I realized that it was actually a mountain goat. And I'd never seen a mountain goat in the wild before. I came from Arkansas. We don't have mountain goats in Arkansas. And I was really excited to see it. But then I remembered what people had told me about mountain goats. Apparently, mountain goats can be very territorial. They can get angry and they'll come and they'll buck people. And I didn't want to get bucked off of a 14er. I didn't know what to do. And so I just sat down and waited and began to pray that this guy wasn't going to get angry at me and come at me. As I was sitting there watching him come closer, I remembered a story from Martin Luther. Uh, according to the story, Luther one day was out and he was praying and meditating, somewhat frustrated at all of the anger and backbiting and strife that had marked his church at that time. And as he was thinking about this, he looked up and in the Swiss Alps, he noticed something strange. There were these two mountain goats that were approaching one another at an impasse, very similar to mine. There was no way to go. Um, there was a sheer cliff to the front and a sheer cliff on the, the left. And he wondered, what's going to happen? He says, you know, I, I thought that maybe once they got together, they would get angry and they were going to butt each other's heads. But that didn't happen. Or they would come together and they would get angry and then all of a sudden just kind of go the other way. He says, but neither of those happened. Instead, as I began to watch, this really amazing phenomenon happened. That as they approached one another, one of the goats lay down and the other climbed over it and the other one got back up and they both began to go their merry way. And Luther says, you know, I begin to realize why is it that these mountain goats are better than people? Sven, I'm sure you'll agree. Yes, people, they'll beat you and cheat you and, and curse you and even me. Uh, and so Luther was like, man, if uh, why can't my church be like mountain goats? And if we're honest, that it's not just other people in other churches, but for many of us, uh, we're kind of like that. There, there's these times we have these trials where we butt heads with someone and we begin to hit them over and over again and come at them until one of us gets hurt. Or uh, we were more passively aggressive or we get angry and we just kind of storm away. And if it's the case that mountain goats are better than people, that shouldn't be the case. And mountain goats are better than the church. And in James, as he writes this letter to uh, the church, he understands this tendency among even believers uh, to get into disputes. And he wants to address this head on. And so I'm thankful for Mike for allowing me to share in this series. And Mike has assigned me James 1, 19 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, uh, get it and turn towards the end of the New Testament to the book of James. Now, as you've been walking through James, you know that James begins by saying, Hey, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, uh, this oxymoron, when you face trials of various kinds. Um, and when you face these trials, I want you to know that God is a faithful God. He's a generous God, and he'll give wisdom to everyone who asks without finding fault. You just ask for wisdom, and God will make it rain. And uh, James is somewhat uh, clever here. He says, hey, you know what? If you want wisdom, wait for it. I'm going to give it to you. And so uh, just stay with me and you're going to get some of this wisdom from above when you face these trials of various kinds. And one of the main trials is 
anger is coming to the point where you have loggerheads with other people, specifically within your family and in the church. Now, one thing that we need to understand about James is that James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. And just like in the Old Testament, we don't read Proverbs the same way that we read Deuteronomy. We don't read James the same way that we read Romans. Proverbs and James, they have these maxims, these axioms, these principles. Uh, but they're not like the principles that you get from your fortune cookie at P.F. Chang's uh, that have the numbers on the back that are kind of just random. Uh, but they're not like what we see like in Deuteronomy Romans, where there's this train of thought that kind of connects every the, the, all the passages together. But more so, Proverbs and James is almost like... Uh, a, a string of pearls where you're putting these pearls of wisdom side by side by side, but there still is a strand that connects them. And most New Testament scholars believe that what we are about to see here in verses 19 through 20 is part of that strand that connects uh, this recurring theme that we're going to see in James. James is really concerned that the church tame their tongues. He's really concerned that the church doesn't uh, have and operate in anger. And so let's look at what James has to say. We'll read it uh, and then we'll take it bit by bit and verse by verse unpacking and then we'll bring home the application. So James chapter 1 verse 19, this is my translation. Brothers and sisters whom I love, know this, understand this. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord, may it be impressed upon our minds, implanted in our hearts, and always on our lips. Let's take this bit by bit and verse by verse. Keep your Bible open with me if you don't mind. Look at how James begins this section, this pearl. He says, my beloved brothers and sisters, understand this. Now, in our English translations, we kind of put my beloved brothers and sisters first, but actually here in the original text, it starts off with the know this, understand this. Now, this is a rhetorical device used by preachers and writers uh, in the ancient world. They know that even like today, especially over recording, an audience has a tendency to kind of uh, get distracted and fade away. And so what they would do is they would use a rhetorical device. Like, hey, I want you to know this. Hey, hey, pages, bring it back up here because what I'm about to share with you is really important. When I was in high school, I used to take um, mostly AP classes, but something happened uh, because of my football schedule that one semester I got pushed into the non-AP Spanish class. And it was interesting because a non-AP class, they weren't interested in learning Spanish like the AP Spanish class was. And so um, our teacher was noticing always that we were distracted and we were focusing on other things. And so really the only thing I learned that semester was, Escúchame! 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 Listen up, listen up, listen up to draw us uh, into him. And as a professor over a decade, especially working with undergrads, I realized that I just had to continue to get their attention because they faded away. And uh, the phrase that I would use was not escúchame, but instead, hey, this is going to be on the test. And the students that were distracted were like, uh, it's on the test. And so in a similar way, James is coming and saying, escúchame, hey, hey, bring it back here. Hey, this is going to be on the test. I want you really to pay attention. And then he gives us what he's going to talk about. He gives us this proverb. He says, I want you to be quick to listen, slow to speak. This is a very popular proverb in the ancient world, going back even to our proverbs, to uh, the, the having references like what we see in our proverbs uh, and in Judaism during this time. It's so very important to hurry up and listen uh, so that you can pay attention. You're listening for the sake of understanding. This is what marks the wise and righteous people of God is that they are quick to listen and they're slow to speak. 
We even know that around this time, there's this uh, philosopher who says a quip that perhaps you've heard before. He says, you know, God has given us two ears and one mouth so that we would uh, listen at least twice as much as we speak. But what James does is he takes this proverb and he brings it home to the church and says, no, 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 I'm not talking about general proverbs, but instead, uh, if this is the case that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak uh, in general, how much more is this the case with our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ? How much more should this be the case with the people that have been redeemed by Jesus Christ? How much more should this be the case with our spouses? How much more should this be the case with our children? How much more? And so he's going to take it and he's going to bring it home to us. I love what a Augustine uh, said when he was asked, Yo, Augie, uh, who's the most important person to you in the world? And Augustine says, whoever's standing immediately in front of me. The reporter was taken back and said, well, what's the most important topic to you in the world? And Augustine said, whatever that person in front of me is talking about. I think Augustine gets James 1, 19 and 20, that this person, the people that God has put in our life, these are people that Jesus Christ was crucified for. These are people that God raised from the dead for. And so we need to be quick to listen to them and slow to speak. Often I have this tendency that when you're talking to me, I'm not thinking about and trying to understand where you're coming from, but I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. No, 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 no. Because of us being in the body of Jesus Christ, we want to be slow to speak and quick to understand. Uh, so uh, hurrying up and listening. How much more is this the case? What about you? Are, are you one of these guys who kind of uh, guys or girls who violate this where you aren't very um, quick to listen? Instead, you may be listening to someone, but you're not hearing them. Or maybe you're hearing the noises, but you're not really listening to what they have to say. You're preoccupied with your own stuff. Maybe you're a person that's continuing to interrupt and butt in. And uh, James says, no, 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 this is not be, should be the case in general, but even more so in the body of Christ. But James doesn't stop there. James adds something to this common proverb. And he says, look at it, slow to become angry. Here, I really think that these first two points are leading up. They're kind of a drum roll to what James is really talking about. And this is being slow to become angry. You know, uh, the sin of anger is very uh, critical. It's uh, uh, something that Jesus is going to talk about. And, and one of the few sins that he says, hey, if you commit this sin, you're in danger of hell. If you remember the Sermon on the Mount, which James is going to lean on quite a bit, uh, Jesus comes and he says, hey, this is my greatest hit. This is my greatest sermon of all time. And he says, you guys are worried about committing murder. But let me tell you this. If you are angry with your brother and sister, then you committed murder with them in your heart. If you say to your brother or sister, Raka, you fool, um, damn you, then you're the one that's going to be subject to judgment. You're the one that's in the danger of the fires of Gehenna. And so Jesus understands that when we have anger with someone and we're not willing to forgive them, then God is not going to forgive us as well. When we shut our heart up to other people, we shut our hearts up to God. And that's why Jesus goes on to say that, hey, if you're not willing to forgive your brother and sister and your anger who's, who's made you angry, then guess what? God is not going to forgive you. John says it as well, right? John says, hey, if you go around saying, yeah, yeah, God, I'm, I'm walking in the light as he is in the light. I love God, but you hate your brother. Then you're a liar, liar, pans on fire. The truth is not in you. And so James uh, realizes, hey, this is very dangerous. Later on in James chapter 5, verse 9, he's going to say, hey, when you're in your anger, you're grumbling and you uh, are speaking out against other people. You need to understand that you're opening yourself up to judgment. And guess what? Do you hear it? 
God is knocking at the door. The judge is knocking at the door and he will judge you. He's going to open a can of wrath upon you. If in our anger, we are speaking out against other people. We are grumbling. We are backbiting. And so when James comes and says, when he comes and says, this is going to be on the test. He wants to understand this is not this general proverb. Uh, this is something we need to apply to the church. But, and if we don't, there are some dangerous ramifications. Um, our Lord is a consuming fire and we don't want to be burnt by that. So James comes and he gives us this Proverbs. And, and again, I think speaking and anger go together. So this is not just being slow to speak, but especially slow to speak in our anger because we don't understand. Later on in James chapter 2, he's going to say, hey, don't you know the tongue is a little bit of a little bit thing, but the, the tongue can, is, can make a, like, a, like a little spark of fire, can set aside an entire forest. So also one little word that you say in anger can do this. Uh, we can tame all of the, all the animals, even a mountain goat, but no man has tamed the tongue. And with the tongue, we bless God our Father, but also with the tongue, we curse other people. How is that possible? My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And we see that, uh, again, I think what James is talking about is not just speaking out, but especially speaking out in anger. How many of you have had your heart crushed because of something your parents said in anger? How many of you have felt your soul die because of a word, a little bitty spark of anger uh, that came from your loved one's mouth uh, that just killed your soul? Here we need to realize that James says, whoa, 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 no, no, be slow to anger. Be slow to speak out uh, in your anger. It's interesting. He says, you know, with this tongue, we bless God, but we also we curse our brothers and sisters. When he talks about cursing, he's not talking about a four-letter word. I have five children, and as you know, um, sometimes uh, children, uh, sorry, I have five children that we homeschool. And as you know, homeschool kids can have tendency uh, to be homeschool type kids. And that was the case with my kids in some areas. Uh, and so, for example, uh, they like to rebel and kind of silly ways. And one way that they like to rebel is to make puns. So for example, we had this park that we would go to that was by the lock and down. And my kids would come to me as we were going to a driving and they would say, hey dad, are we going to the damn park? <laughs> and I played along, public school. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to the park by the lock and down. And then another one would say, hey dad, is this the damn road? <laughs> I'll say, yeah, 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 this is the road that goes to the lock and dam. Another one say, hey, Dad, are we going to be able to play on the damn playground? And so I was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to play on the playground by the lock and dam. And on and on and on it went. Uh, and then finally, my wife, who's much more holy and uh, godly than I am, she just couldn't stand anymore. She was like, okay, no more damn jokes. Now, she meant it by saying no more jokes about dams, locks and dams. But me and the kids took it as, Mom just made a damn joke. And we we're like, ah! But she didn't think it was funny. But you know, here, when James is saying that the cursing that come out of her mouth, he's not talking about the bleep word and bleep word and bleep word. But here, he's talking about specifically these words of anger. You may curse someone without ever using a four-letter word. That's not what James is talking about. James is talking about these words that come out of your mouth that hurt other people, words that speak out in anger and wrath. Paul talks about this as well in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, don't you know, we're all part of this one body that Christ died for, and he's put us together. And because we're part of this body, in your anger, don't sin against one another. Because we're part of this one body, in your anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because we're part of the one body, don't in your anger give Satan an opportunity to destroy you. 
So this is what James is coming and talking to us about. And again, let me ask you, are you one of these persons that just struggle with anger, that you lash out at the people that love you most, the people that God has died for? Are you one of these type of people that you can just kind of go from the couch to eight fit crazy like that? James is saying, mate, listen, this is going to be on the test. You got to overcome it. You got to listen. And then he tells us why. We look at verse 20 and he says, for the, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, it's interesting because uh, this word for man is usually a word meant for man. There are times where what we translate in the Bible is trans- we may translate as man, but what we really mean is people, humankind, uh, humanity. Uh, but this is not the case. Uh, James uses a word that's usually meant for male gender. And it may be that James, uh, some scholars believe that James is talking specifically to someone in the church. Like, hey, you, you we, we all know you show with anger. We all know this is, this is you. And so it could be that James is like shots fired, like you, Jimmy. Um, or it may be that uh, James is referring not to one single man, but to men in general. Uh, there is an understanding in the ancient world that men had more of a proclivity or propensity, a leaning to being angry. We see this with Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We used to go to the woman passage later on in that. Uh, but uh, before we get to that, we, we need to look at what Paul says to the men. He says to the men, I, I want men everywhere, all of you men, to lift up holy hands in prayer and not be angry. He says to the fathers, hey fathers, in your anger, don't uh, exasperate your children. And so there may be a tendency of our gender because it causes a little more pride, uh, prideful to, to be angry. And Paul's going to say, no, no, no. Sorry, James is going to say, no, no, no. Uh, in your anger, you men, your anger doesn't produce what God is wanting to produce. You know, I have uh, friends that uh, are really angry at one another. I'm kind of apolitical. I don't really get into it. I'm I'm more of a Bible scholar than a a, a politician, uh, someone who's interested in politics. But in order to understand my friends on both sides of the spectrum, I listen to podcasts um, from Fox and from CNN, from the right and from the left. And, you know, when I listen to the, the news reports from the right and I turn it off, I'm angry. Man, I'm just, I'm just really upset. And then I listen to the podcast and the new news reports on the left. And when I get through with them, I'm angry. I'm upset. And so despite them disagreeing about who our president should be, despite them disagreeing about what the Democratic Party, despite them being against uh, all of the different worldviews, there's one thing that they lead me to. They lead me to anger. And I realize that I have this tendency, this flame, and they, they, they flame that in. And I think that they want to do that. I think that the, they know as long as I'm angry, I'm going to keep tuning in. And so I have to be very careful because being conformed to the pattern of this world is being conformed to anger. And we have to be careful, I think, especially as men to watch, to monitor what comes into our, our lives, because it may not be that they're trying to give us knowledge as much as to incite us to keep pushing click. It could be one specific man. It could be men in general. Or thirdly, it could be referring just like to, to humanity, everybody, uh, and men and women and everyone to, uh, watch out. And if this is the case, it may tap into kind of this tap root in the first century that anger was considered uh, a root of all evil. Now, when you think of the root of all evil, you probably think of uh, the passage in the pastorals where Paul says the love of money is the root of all evil. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's definitely greed. And, and definitely greed is a bad one. But what you need to understand is that in the ancient world, 
world, this was kind of a stock phrase that you would just include whatever you wanted to, to include. So if we would say the love of blank, uh, sorry, yeah, the love of blank is the root of all evil. Uh, some Jews would come and say, well, it's idolatry. Idolatry is the root of all evil. Others would come in, no, no, it's sexual morality. Sexual morality is the root of all either evil. Uh, I would say, you know, being a Boston Red Sox fan, that is the root of all evil. Uh, but uh, here it may be tapping into this idea that uh, one of the greatest sins, if not the greatest sin, is anger because of its connection to pride, because of the way it makes us react. And so there's a lot of literature written uh, during the time of James about anger uh, because it's so uh, dangerous. And some would even say that if you can conquer the sin of anger, then you can conquer any sin. But notice that James says this right to this anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Now, as a Bible scholar, I really geek out on a lot of things. Uh, and uh, But as a New Testament scholar and New Testament scholars, we geek out specifically on this phrase, the righteousness of God, because it has so many different meanings. It's like, you keep using that word. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Or, you know, uh, but, but when we come and we look at this word and like there's all of these different ideas and maybe for a different time, I'll talk about what all righteousness of God can mean. But for the sake of time here, let's look at two of the chief ones. First of all, the righteousness of God could mean uh, the saving activity of God. So it may be that James is saying here, so you know what, when you have anger among one another, when you're butting heads or you're storming away, then you're not producing the righteousness of God. The gospel of saving people is not happening. Because when you're angry with one another, then guess what? The gospel is not being shared with other people. Because you're focusing on one another rather than that. And even if you are going out and still doing missions and stuff, if you're angry, no one's going to be drawn to that. Christ is supposed to be the the God of peace, but your anger inside is not going to draw people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, again, this goes maybe back to what Jesus says, where he says, hey, you know what? Uh, Let people see your good deeds that they may glorify your Father in heaven. But if you're angry, angry, they're not seeing those deeds. And so uh, if the, the people see the anger inside of you, they consider that hypocrisy and they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace in your life. And so James may be saying, Escuchame, this is going to be on the test. This is important because if you're angry, if you're fighting against one another, then the gospel of Jesus Christ is not being shared with those in darkness, those that are lost. The second meaning of righteousness of God that could be in this passage is the the righteous requirement, the righteous moral virtue that God wants to do in your life. Again, if we're angry with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we grieve the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can't make us holy. Uh, We can't be righteous and holy. Again, it may be that James is leaning on the Sermon on the Mount here where Jesus comes and says, hey, you know what? You want to know what God wants from you? God wants you to be holy as he is holy. Peter's going to say the same thing. Be perfect as God is perfect. And in both of these contexts, holiness and perfection, maturity, it's focusing on how we respond to people who make us angry. That's what it means to be like God. It's to forgive those who sin against us. It's to bless those who curse us. It is to love our enemy and even to pray for them. And so this may be James saying, hey, as long as you have anger in your life, you're being conformed to the pattern of the world and you're not being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, let's bring it to the application. Where do we go from this? Well, one thing we see James continuing to do is he continues to refer back to the Old Testament as illustrations. And so I think he gives us a precedent of going back to the Old Testament to figure out, hey, how, how, how can I apply this to my life? The other day I came home and my son Caspian, my youngest son, uh, was watching The Bible Project. It's a fantastic series. And I, I came home and I was like, oh, you're watching The Bible Project, Exodus. I really love their stuff, especially on the Old Testament. And my son, who's on the autism spectrum, looked at me and says, Old Testament? I think you mean Gold Testament. 
because it's full of treasure. And it's true, the Old Testament is full of treasure. I'm going to call it the Old Testament uh, from here on out. Uh, but we can go back and see some of the treasures. And we go back looking from the lenses of anger and takes us all the way back to Genesis 4, the second sin. Do you remember Cain, uh, because he gets angry that God blessed Abel, who gave a better sacrifice than him? And God comes to him and is like, hey, Cain, why are you upset? Why are you worried? Don't you know if you do what's right, then... I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. But you better watch out because sin is crouching at the door and it desires to overcome you. But you must overcome it. Well, sadly, we know that tragically Cain did not overcome it. Instead, he overcame his brother. And it reminds us that that there is a sin, the anger. It's crouching at the door and it desires to have you. It desires to have me. It desires to have us. And so our battle, as Paul would say in Ephesians 6, is not against one another. It's not against flesh and blood, but instead it's against that sin. It's against that enemy who desires to destroy us. And we together must overcome it. We need to realize that uh, this anger, as long as we're fighting one another, then we are not focusing on the real enemy in our life. What else do we find in the Gold uh, Testament? Well, we also see maybe the story of Moses. So we can go from Genesis to uh, uh, the story in uh, Numbers where Moses gets so angry and in his frustration, uh, God says, hey, I want you to speak to the rock and give it water. And Moses comes and says, ah, ah, and he strikes it twice in his anger. When he does that, God says, I know you didn't. Because, Moses, because you did that, you're not going to the promised land. And Moses is like, whoa, he's talking about Willis. Why, why can't I go to the promised land? And God says, because of your anger, because of this sin of anger, you can't go to the promised land. And Moses comes to God three times. Like, God, please let me go to the promised land. And Moses like, God said, nope. Moses like, please, God, please, I'm sorry, I got angry. God said, nope. And Moses said, please let me go to the promised land. And God says, no, stop asking. Because have you done this? And it's interesting that 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, you know what? That stuff that's written about Israel, that stuff written about Moses, that wasn't for Moses. That wasn't for Israel. That stuff that was written about Moses striking the rock, that wasn't about him. It wasn't written for him. It wasn't written for Israel. It was written for us, the church. And so we need to learn from that. God's Spirit brought that to us so that when we are like Moses and we think we stand strong, we better watch out because if Moses can fall, we can fall too. But I want you to understand this. No temptation, even the temptation of anger uh, has come upon you that's not uncommon. We see it all through the Old Testament. We see it all around us. But God is faithful and he will provide a way out. What is this way out that God gives us? Well, I think one, as we mentioned before, Jesus gives it to us in our daily prayer. Daily we pray, God, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I know I need it. Have mercy on me, a sinner. But also, God, forgive those who sin against me. We see maybe later God saying, hey, you know what, to Moses, hey, it's mine to repay. I will avenge. And so you need to leave room for the wrath of God. These are two ways. Uh, in my sanctified imagination, I want to come and say, Moses, maybe you struggle like I struggle with anger. And this is how I deal with my anger. If I could take the TARDIS or go along with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and go back to Moses and, and before he strikes a rock and say, hey, Moses, man, before you go and get water from the rock, let, let's go work out. Let's go hit the pavements. For me, uh, with this tendency to be angry, the best thing that I can do um, for me is to, to exert energy. So there's a big difference between working out and working it out. And often I'm working it out, this anger. And so rather than taking it out on the people that I love, rather than taking it out on the people that God has called me to shepherd, uh, I want to take it out on the pavement. I want to take it out on the weights. I want to take it out on the yoga mat or whatever it may be. But uh, we, we need to find those ways where we can take it out, uh, out of our, our, not on other people, but instead in another way. Maybe Moses needed to go do CrossFit with Mike. Uh, maybe another thing I would try is when I get angry is I can just take a nap. If I can just make myself take a nap when I wake up, I'm not angry anymore. And so just a little power nap like Moses. Hey man, 
Uh, that's going to ask like really quickly. Just just go and take a nap. We need to find the way that God has for us. And then let's use one more example. Let's look at the story of David. You remember when David was really angry because Nabal um, had made him mad? And he's going to destroy Nabal. He's like, move, get out the way, get out the way. And all of a sudden, whoop, Abigail, this woman stand, this godly woman stands before David and says, David, stop in the name of love. Man, this is not you. It's not God who's called, this is not what God has called you to do. Um, this is not who God has called you to be. And David's like, oh man, you're right. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so because of uh, Abby, um, Abigail, she she saves David from committing a multitude of sins. And David goes back and marry her because of it. But but we, I want to ask that question when we look at the, the Gold Testament is, do you have an Abigail in your life to stand and be a voice of reason to say, no, this is not who you are. This is not God has called you to be. This is not going to bring about the righteousness of God. We need Abbeys in our life. I love in the first century that when they had crucifixions, as horrible as it was, they would make sure that they had a soldier at the bottom of the cross. And the, the soldier's job was to make sure that whoever was on the cross did not come down until that person was dead. This was that job. And what I love is not that. But what I love is the metaphor when Paul talks about crucifying our flesh, uh, crucifying our anger, our sinful desires, that what is assumed is that we have someone at the bottom of our cross. To make sure, no, 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 you're not coming down until that anger is dead. You're not coming down until that wrath is dead. You're not coming down until that bitterness is dead. And again, who is the Abbey in your life? And who do you have stationed at the bottom of your cross to make sure that you don't come down until that anger and that wrath is dead? And for you, maybe that's a counselor. Maybe it goes beyond uh, just a friend in your life, but to, to go and seek counseling with that. Let's bring it home. I remember when I was in Houston, I was uh, driving down the road and I was trying to teach my kids memory verse on their way to Iwana. I'd failed to do that earlier because of some other things. And I was in Houston traffic, which was one of Dante's levels of hell. And my kids were being quite honorary, taken after their dad that day. And they wouldn't learn their memory verse. And I remember just struggling with them like, hey, you know this. And they're like, no. I was like, come on, say it. They're like, no. And then so finally, I was like looking at the verse, trying to get them to say it. And I was like, you know this. And I just wanted to scream the verse to them. And the first one was, God is love. And the second one was, he gives us a peace that goes beyond understanding. And I almost in my frustration was like, God is love! God is love! He gives us a peace that goes beyond understanding. But then all of a sudden, before it came out in that anger, I realized, whoa, these verses are true. If God is love, that covers a multitude of sins. That don't, don't, not only drives out uh, fear, but it drives out the anger and hostility in my heart. God gives us a peace that goes beyond understanding. It's not a trite, treadbare thing that we put on our t-shirts or on our bumper stickers. It is true. And so uh, as Mike is going to talk about next week, we implant the word of God in our heart that we might not sin against him. The, the best defense that we have against the sin that's crouching at the door wanting to have us is the word of the Lord. As Jesus would say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we're speaking words that tear people down, we're speaking these fiery words that burn people up, then that's not what's in our heart. And so we want to put God's word to be deeply implanted in our life. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you about the mountain goat. So I'm sitting there, I'm waiting. The mountain goat, it comes to me and it doesn't look mad. And as it gets to me, it looks at me a little bit with some peculiarity and some frustration. And all of a sudden it goes around me. It just like, I almost like Spider-Man. I don't know how it climbed those rocks and it went around me and it got back on the trail and it turned back and it gave me this look like, I got you. I feel you. And it hit me. Mountain goats are better than people, but they shouldn't be better than the church. Thank you for letting me share with you. God bless you.